Okay, any of you bald guys almost throw up in your mouth when three guys with great hair talk about how hard it is to cut your hair and oh my goodness and poor Micah and come on, get out of my face with that stuff. I just had to say that. I was looking around, all these bald guys were twitching, you know. Anyway, welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. Some of you are new, you're like, who is this guy? I'm Daniel, it's good to meet you. And we are thrilled you're here. What we're going to do, actually, one thing I need to tell you. Next Sunday, we're doing baptisms. So we've got these crosses in the ground here. Some of you have never seen that, but we'll take off the top of those. And you step down into the cross, identifying in the death of Jesus. And you come up out of the water and you step out raised to newness of life. And so if that's you, if you know the spirit is tugging your heart into the waters of baptism, you can get signed up online. Join us next Sunday. It's going to be holy ground. It's going to be a family party. So write that in your calendars and you can get signed up for that. So there's that announcement. What we're going to do today is we're going to close out this Nehemiah series. We've been going through this book, Nehemiah, for two months, and it's been so much fun to to see the overlap of how this book hits us today. But what I'm going to do today is start in the 10th chapter and read you a couple verses and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord out of the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 10, 28, it says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God. And they did this together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and they bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the Lord. So you see what they're doing here. This is a moment in time where they're, they're, they're making vows to God, an oath to follow the law of God, given through Moses, the servant of God. And they vow to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. This is the word of God. And now let's pray. Lord, we need you to speak to us today. I invite you right where you are to invite the spirit to speak to you, to open your heart. Lord, we've heard so many opinions this week. We've heard the news cycle this week. We've heard about wars and rumors of wars. We've heard about record inflation. We've heard about political factions fighting each other. We've heard about so much. Lord, we ask today that you would press pause on all of that and that we would hear you. We want to hear from you. Speak to us today, God. If you don't speak to us, we'll have wasted our time. If you don't transform us, we'll leave here the same way we came in. But if you speak, we'll have all that we need. So we invite you today, Lord, come by the power of your spirit and speak to us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Nehemiah, for those of you who are new to this story, was living in southwest Iran. He grew up, he's a Hebrew boy by bloodline, but he grew up a thousand miles away from Jerusalem in southwest Iran. His great, 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 great grandparents would have been promised the promised land and they would have known Jerusalem. But those people who had received the gift from God had walked away from God in rebellion. And with that, they were dragged away into exile. So they were dragged away into Assyria and then into Babylon and generations grew up there. And Nehemiah, a Hebrew boy, was born in Babylon. 
And he grew up there and was educated well, and he found himself in the cabinet, basically as the cupbearer to the king. He was a part of the imperial palace in southwest Iran of this, this empire. And some Hebrew boys from Jerusalem traveled through a thousand miles away, and Nehemiah heard what was going on back in his ancestral homeland. And his heart was broken. This was the spirit of the Lord waking Nehemiah up saying, I've got a job for you. And so Nehemiah goes to King Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, and says, would you please let me go back to Jerusalem? I actually had never been there. Would you please let me go to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls? And strangely enough, King Artaxerxes allows him to go and he sends him with, with all the resources he needs to rebuild Jerusalem. So he's doing this work And over the last eight weeks, we've heard about the work and how difficult it was and how Nehemiah rallied the people. But here today in our text, the walls had been rebuilt, the gates had been hung, the city was secured. And the question is, what do they do when they get back to life in the old city of Jerusalem? There's three things that I want you to see today that I think are really important for us. The first thing that I want you to realize is that historically, the people of God have found it crucial to have regular renewals of the covenant. Can you say renewal? Regular renewals of the covenant. Now, some of you go, I don't know the Bible and I don't know all this stuff. I'm here to tell you today, you understand what a regular renewal of the covenant looks like. You have been to the gym on January 1st. (laughs) All these people who haven't been there since February 12th, they're back and they've got their new gear and their new shoes and they're signing back up and they got the big water bottle because we got to drink 100 ounces every day and we're going to eat right and we're going to this is the year this is the year to get it right right is a regular renewal of the covenant when they close up the gates of Jerusalem and, and they're finally back home, they say, you know what? It's time to live differently. It's time to make a change. Some of you have, have, have long-term friendships. You've been friends with people for 30 and 40 years. How do you do that? You do it through regular renewals of the covenant. You've, you've, you've shared years together and there's times where the relationship goes a little silent or you're feeling the distance or maybe you sense a cold shoulder. Are they frustrated with me? And what do you do? You go to a meal, you sit down, you look each other in the eyes and you have a regular renewal of the covenant and a friendship can last for 30, 40, 50 years when you live this way. Some of you are married and you understand what it is. You don't just stand up on your wedding day and say, I do hereby swear to, you know, sickness and health and rich and poor, death to his part. You don't say it once and then move on. No, you live a life of regularly renewing the covenant. And when you do this, then you can have fullness of life. Friends, when they got Jerusalem back together, Nehemiah called all the people together and he said to them, it's time to make vows. It's time to sign back up. It's time to press back in. If we keep, we got the city back, but if we keep living in the old way, we will be dragged into another round of exile. We've got to change our way of being. It was a regular renewal of the covenant, but the renewal wasn't just with their words. I need you to see that it was with all of their lives. It was with their calendar, how they spent their time going up to the house of the Lord, going up into prayer, going into regular seasons of fasting, going up to the high places to to worship Yahweh. It was with their calendar. It was with their time. And it was also with their economy. A regular renewal of the covenant involves all of us. And you see this in the text. I want you, I'll just read a couple of these verses. We also assume responsibility 
for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. It's also written in the law that we will bring the firstborn of our sons, their children, and of our cattle and of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there for the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain and wine and oil. And then you skip down to the end of this text and they say, we will not neglect the house of our God. What, what I want you to see is the trajectory of their covenant. What they end up doing is they end up rebuilding the walls for protection, but then they restock the storehouse for provision. It's not just about getting the city right, but once we get the city right, we've got to refill the storehouse so that we can take care of all of those who don't have what they need. And, and I just want to say to you as a pastor, I've been here coming up on 18 years and I've watched you live as a church generously and you've made vows to God, not just with your words and not just with raising your hands, but you've put all your chips on the table. You've put your life on the table. You've put your economy on the table to be the people of God. And I'll tell you a story. I got a, a call just six weeks ago from a single mom here in the church. And if I told you the details of her story from the time she was 12 years old, she's 40 now. For the last 28 years, if I told you the details of her story, you would, your heart would be absolutely broken. And yet this woman has kept signing back up. And when she could have quit and probably should have quit, and none of us would have blamed her, she kept pressing back in. She called me six weeks ago and she said, Pastor Daniel, I hate to say this to you, but it's the first of the month. I don't have my rent and I know that I'm going to get evicted. I just know it. And I said, what's the name of your rental company? And she gave it to me. And I said, what's the phone number? And she gave it to me. And I said, okay. And I, I hung up the phone and I called the rental company and this lady picked up and I said, I mentioned the single mom's name. And she said, yes, I'm actually drafting up an eviction letter for her right now. It's 9 a.m. and I'm sending it by, I don't know, express mail or however they do it legally. I'm delivering it to her doorstep at 10 a.m. And I said, don't you send that letter. Don't send that letter. And I got in the car from here at the church and I drove down Academy to Constitution and I walked into their office. And because you all have put your life on the line with Jesus and you've put your economy in, you're living, not just making vows with your words, but with your resources. I was able to walk into that office because of your generosity and cover her mortgage for the rest of this year. Friends, I want you to know that when the people of God live this way, God, he, yes, he, he wants to close us off from the threat outside, like rebuild the walls and hang the gates. And, and so you're protected at home, but, but we've got to be able to create provision for the people around us who don't have what they need. And Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, it says when the spirit was poured out, these people, some of them sold houses and lands and they took the proceeds and they put them at the apostles feet. And it says, and there were no needy ones among them. And I'm here to tell you when, when the people of God make vows with their words and make vows with their lives and make vows with their calendars and make vows with their economy, don't look now, but everyone is strengthened and there were no needy ones among us. I want to say thank you for your generosity and for the way you follow Jesus with every bit of your life today. So you see today, the first thing they do is they make vows and they sign up for this regular renewal of the covenant. The second thing that I want you to see in chapter 13, verse six, it says, while this was taking place, this is Nehemiah talking. I wasn't in Jerusalem. Now here's a little context for in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes of Babylon, I had to go back from Jerusalem to the King a thousand miles away. 
And after some time, I'd been with the king, giving him a report. I asked leave of the king and I came back to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib, who is the high priest of the people of God, he's the one, he's the head pastor. He's the one leading the charge in the temple. Eliashib had done evil for Tobiah. He'd prepared for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Now, some of you might miss this detail, but I want to, I want to help you not miss it. Tobiah is a terror word for these people. Tobiah is the Ammonite. Tobiah is the one who for probably a couple decades now has profited off of Jerusalem's walls being torn down. He's not a Hebrew boy. He's across the Jordan River from Jordan. He's the Ammonite. He's from, from Ammon now, right? And so Tobiah has been, uh, Jerusalem has been his biggest account and he's been patting his pockets at the suffering of the people of God. So Nehemiah comes to town and Nehemiah says, it's a new day in God's house and, and God will restore this people and the promised land will be reinvigorated. And he casts out Tobiah the Ammonite who had been doing damage to the people of God and, and they rebuild the walls. So Nehemiah has a, a, an imperial assignment. He's called back to King Artaxerxes a thousand miles away. And while he's gone in that intervening period, he, he comes back home and he realizes that Eliashib, who is the son-in-law of Tobiah the Ammonite, he moves his father-in-law, Tobiah, like the bad guy, into a posh apartment in the house of God. So Tobiah, who was driven out of the city, is now living in the parsonage of the temple. And Nehemiah comes home and he says, you did what? And he loses his mind. And you see the story go on here. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. He went in, he made a scene. And then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So, so it's, it was like Bernie Madoff, anyone remember the Bernie Madoff story, Ponzi scheme, billions of dollars. He, he, he duped people out of their money. It'd be like taking Bernie Madoff and making him the head of the IRS. <laughs> Eliashib, who's supposed to lead the people in holy worship, moves the threat, moves the man who has, who has, who has hurt them and wounded them and profited off of their loss. He moves him into the house of God and Nehemiah comes home and he says, it's time to clean up the house. It's time to drive this out. It's time to get this house right. Any of you like those Saturdays once or twice a year where you get the house right? <laughs> I'm one of those guys. Like I'll start to notice over a few weeks we get a little clutter here in the corner and then the, there's mail stacking up on the counter and then our drawers are kind of just, it's just clunky and the kids don't have their stuff where it belongs. And, and after just a few weeks, something sort of simmers in my soul. And there's that Saturday morning where I wake up and I'm a new man and I'm, it's like, I become like a, a, you know, at a Navy SEAL boot camp, I become a drill sergeant. I'm screaming at the kids, we will get this house right. And I lock the door and no one can go anywhere and no one can look at a screen and don't text any of your friends and everyone be quiet, get the house right. And after the end of the day, we've got the house right and I'm throwing things away and I'm purging. And, I, and this is what Nehemiah does because he realized that the people of God have gotten used to living with sort of a spiritual clutter in their souls. They'd gotten used to worshiping false idols. They'd gotten used to being sloppy and they'd gotten settled into a house that was cluttered. And he comes back from this trip and he settles back in Jerusalem and he starts chucking things. He starts cleaning the place out. And what I want you to see the second movement of this story is that 
It's important to get the house right. Once you've rebuilt the walls, you've got to throw some things away. He goes on to say in verse 23, in those days, also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab are like capital cities of their chief enemies. Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And and half of their children, pay attention to this, half of their children, the Jews, spoke the language of Ashdod. And they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of all of the other peoples. Now, Ashdod is one of the capital cities of the Philistines. And anyone remember one of those? Like, who's the iconic bad Philistine in the scriptures? Talk to me. Goliath. Goliath of Gath. Gath is right next door to Ashdod. And he says, I get back to Jerusalem and I realize that all these Hebrew kids, these kids who grew up with the story of Moses and and the law of God, and they were supposed to be taught Torah. They were supposed to carry our people forward. They were supposed to honor the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They don't speak the language of Jerusalem and Judah, but they speak the language of Ashdod. And I think this applies to us today. And let me just take you into how this this works for us. It is so much easier for our children today to know the language of John Mayer than to know the language of John the Baptist. And look, I'm not here to look, I've seen John Mayer. He's great, awesome player. I'm not here to, you know, be this curmudgeon and, you know, prudish and and we got to circle the wagons and don't listen, only listen to, I'm not trying to do that today, but I am trying to say that our kids, they, they know that John Mayer is waiting on the world to change, but do they know that John the Baptist is waiting on our hearts to change? Do they know the story where we come from? Do they speak the language of Jerusalem and Judah? Do they speak the language of Jesus? Do they speak the language of the kingdom or are they being discipled by the Jonas brothers? Are they being discipled by social media and TikTok? Are they being discipled by all these outside voices who speak the language of Ashdod, but do they know the language where we come from? Friends, if you're going to disciple your people, it will be an uphill climb. If you're going to allow your people to be discipled by the culture, it's a downhill slide. That's really easy. But if you want to follow Jesus, what does he say? You got to deny yourself and take up your cross and come and follow me. The cross is heavy and you're usually climbing uphill to follow Jesus, but it is the only way that leads to everlasting life. And so I'll just say here today, Nehemiah discovered that the children were being discipled by the language of Ashdod. And it's really easy for us to see how that's happening among us, but it ought not be so. What does he do? He throws some stuff away. He cleanses the house. They make vows of renewal and they circle back and they say, let's press into Yahweh and we must live a different way. And so church today, I'm calling us to press back in. I'm calling us to pick our story back up. I'm calling us to be the people that love the ancient story of the people of God who hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. People who are unafraid to fall on our knees and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I've sinned against you and I've done what is evil in your sight. So search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. I'm not waiting on the world to change. I'm here right now saying, Lord, I am all yours. And would you transform me from the inside out? And when the Lord transforms us from the inside out, the world is transformed. Friends, it's time to press back into a season of covenant renewal and it's time to clean some stuff 
out. Can you say amen? amen? The third thing that I want you to see today, and we're coming to a close. I'm going to end early because we're going to respond here. We're going to create a, a moment to respond to the Lord. Nehemiah 12, 31. And then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and I appointed two great choirs. Everyone flagged that in your mind. I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. And one went to the south wall and the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north wall. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall. So both choirs of those who gave thanks, they stood in the house of God. And the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader and they offered great sacrifices that day and they rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and the children also rejoiced and please see this line at the end of chapter 12 and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. What is the last thing that Nehemiah does when they get the walls rebuilt and the gates hung and the people make vows of renewal and they press back into the covenant and they clean out their homes and they throw away all the trash and the idols that they'd gotten so used to. What's the last thing Nehemiah does? Nehemiah says, get the choirs ready. We're going to sing. And I'll just say to you today, if you're going to be a part of any movement, it will require you learning to sing. I've been to English Premier League soccer games over in the UK, and these folks are crazy. They're wild. They get up on Saturday mornings at six and they start drinking, you know? Not all of them, not all of them, okay? Some of you, my Brits or my UK friends are like, shut up, man, that's not me. But some of them, and they get there at 8 a.m. and they're in the parking lot tailgating, and they're, what are they doing? They're singing their club's song. They're just, just wailing out loud and they're having a blast and they're, they're having a drink and then they go into the game and for 90 minutes, I've been in the stadiums, they're shouting their club's anthem and they're cheering and they're singing and if their club wins, they're gonna tear the roof off and if their club loses, they're gonna sink into despair for the rest of the weekend. But if you're going to be a part of a movement, look at our sports. If you're gonna be a part of a movement, you're gonna learn how to sing. <laughs> Think about a national movement. You, we watch the Olympics every two years, you know, winter, and then two years later, the summer, and then winter and summer. And what do they do? At the end of the ceremony, they've got these three boxes. And whoever's standing in the center, they got the gold medal. And what do they do? They play the national anthem. And tears stream down their faces as they stand there and they sing the song of their native land. If you're going to be a part of a movement, you're going to have to learn how to sing. The civil rights movement in America's history, it was not primarily carried through because people talked their way through. They sang their way through. And they stood on the Washington Monument that day with MLK Jr. preaching that fire, I have a dream. And they sang, we shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Because a song, what it does is it gets down into your subconscious. It settles down into your soul and takes over your psyche. And I promise you, when you go into the hospital, hospitals, you will not be saying, hey, remember that day when Pastor Daniel said that we sing our way through? What you'll do is you'll say, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. If you're going to ever be a part of a movement, you're going to have to learn how to sing your way through. This morning, 530, pitch black. I was awake. I was thinking about this time together and praying. 
And Lisa didn't say anything, but she just reached over and she started praying. And she said, Lord, thank you so much that your mercies are new every morning. And we started singing. We started just praying together and thanking God. We had, the lights weren't on. I hadn't seen her face yet, but I'm saying to you, friends, if you're going to make it in the way of faith, you're going to have songs that get down into your soul and you're going to sing your way through. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to silence us. He wants us to collapse inward and to shut down. He wants us to lose our song. He wants us to lose our joy. He wants us to lose the bounce in our step that we once knew. He wants us to just kind of mail it in and to get comfortable living quietly. But Nehemiah rebuilds the walls with the people of God. And the final act is he says, get a choir on the south wall and get a choir on the north wall. We've got to sing our way through. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to bring our band and our singers up and we're gonna practice this. So would you stand with me, church, right now? Here's what I want you to think about as we begin to sing. It's 11.52, some of you are getting antsy, we're fine. I preached really short so we could do this. You're gonna get to Luby's on time or whatever the golden corral, whatever you do. I want us in this moment to fight our way out of the silencing work of the devil. Do you know why the Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people shout unto God with a voice of triumph? You want to know why all throughout the Psalms, it's just littered with the physicality of the act of worship, clapping and dancing and shouting and bowing down and laying on your face. Why is it physical? Why is worship physical? Because these are people who used to be enslaved in Egypt and the shackles on their hands kept them from lifting their hands. And so when the psalmist says, lift your hands to the Lord, why? Because he's saying you're now free. Egypt is not in charge of your body. Egypt, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Egypt cannot tell you to shut up. You can't stop me anymore because God has freed me. God has delivered me. So the, the act of worship is, is sort of jumping out of the oppression that the enemy tries to heap on us. And so today we're going to get our song back. Some of you haven't, haven't, uh, felt the strength of God in worship for years. And I, I just sense that God is going to do a special work for us today. And so as the band gets ready to lead us in worship, would you close your eyes and would you open your hands and open your hearts and begin to say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. And here's a, here's the final invitation that I want to give before we sing. Tim told us about that junior high kid at the retreat who came in, closed off. He came in, shut down. He didn't want to be there. But by the end of it, Saturday night, something happened and something broke open and he raced down to the altar. I had the sense that we needed to open up our altars today for some of you who just know the, the physical act that you need to do is you need to step forward. You need to press up against the stage. You need to come lift your hands. You need to come shout. Some of you will want to kneel down, but, but the stage is open. The altars are open. Come on down front if that's you. But I want us to lift our hands and begin to sing, I will build my life upon your love. Come on, church. Come on, church. And I will build my life upon your love.
sense that I have, we're gonna sing just a little bit more, but another sense that I had as I was praying this week is that some people would be healed in their bodies today. The accumulating stress and the fear and the anxiety of the world that we've been living in, very often it affects our bodies physically. And I just had a sense that many of you would, would come in today and I saw you laying hands on your body, like where you were hurting and saw the spirit moving and working. So if that's you, if your body's been, been hurting, if your body's been breaking down, if, if your mind, your mental health has been struggling, would you just begin to lay hands on your body and receive the work of the spirit? Invite the spirit to touch you and to heal you and to pour himself out on you today. Let's sing, be strong, be not afraid. Let the fear be gone in Jesus' name. Come on, church, lift up your voices. Be not afraid for the Lord is soon on his way. He will break through. He'll tear through the night. It's
Would you get your communion elements and be ready to receive? We have communion elements for those of you down here. You can stay where you are. We'll bring them to you. This is the right thing to do after a sermon like this because it starts with them binding themselves to an oath and taking on a curse. But Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he said, I will bind myself on an oath to you and I will enter the curse for you. Jesus is here to do the heavy lifting. So church today, if you take that bread, even as you receive communion today, there's gonna be healing in your body and healing in your soul and healing in your mind. Some of you are gonna sleep better than you've slept in years. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Would you break that little wafer in your hand? And he said, as often as you do this, remember. Remember that I'm for you. Remember that I love you. Remember that I'm yours. We got two people right there who are asking for communion. Let's right there. Section 11. Sorry, friends, but everyone's got to eat, you know. This is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember, and I want you to receive this today by faith. I want you to, this is not some spiritual routine. This is not mindless, like as you take this in, take Jesus on his word. This is my body broken for you. And as often as you do this, I'm with you. And so today, would you receive the broken body, the blessing of Jesus Christ for you? You may receive the bread. On the same night, he took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood, and it's given for the remission of your sins. And some of you carry such guilt and such shame, and you think that the very worst thing about your past is the very truest thing about your future. And today, Jesus is saying, your sins have been forgiven you. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's sing again. Let's play again. Let's receive the life of the kingdom of God again. So today, church, the good news of the gospel is your sins have been forgiven you. You may drink deeply of the forgiveness of Jesus.
would you open your hands today to receive the blessing of God as you go? And I'm praying for a holy boldness to come on you this week. I'm praying for a fearlessness to overtake you this week. I'm praying that you would play to win and not play not to lose. (laughs) Go out into this city to be the salt and the light of Jesus Christ. Go out into this city to be the hands and the feet. Go out into this city to speak the blessing of God. So I pray, may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? Real quick, real quick before you leave, three simple things. The prayer team will be down front. If you need prayer about anything, come on down. Let us agree with you. The second thing is if you're new, come see us at Connect Central in the lobby. The third thing, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. So get your booties here. Let's celebrate. If you want to get baptized, some of you are like, he just said booties in church. It's okay. If you want to get baptized, get signed up online, but come celebrate with us. It's going to be a party. Go from here today in God's grace and peace. Much love.